eyes have not seen, ears have not heard all that Christ has for us. Amen. Thank you, Jason. I'm going to tell a story on Jason. I've known that child since he was 18 years old. He was a young, brash man. And now look at him. Look at the Lord. Standing and praising his God and leading us in worship. Thank you, Jason. I appreciate that. Good morning, Pathways. How are you today? It's not quite as full in here this week as it was last week. Okay, somebody had to say it, so I went on and said it out loud. <laughs> That's all right. You're right. We had a wonderful day in the Lord last uh, week. We celebrated Resurrection Sunday, and we had some of everything going on in here last week. We had music, and we had good preaching, and we had a baptism, and the Lord was gracious to us. Let's give God a praise offering for what he's doing here at Pathways. I am grateful. I'm very grateful. This Sunday, I would ask you to keep in your prayers our senior pastor, Ed Williams, and his family are on vacation. So I will be with you for the next couple of weeks, and we are going to think through, we're going to do an overview on the book of Colossians in the next couple of weeks. I've entitled this series, Because He Has Risen. So we're going to think through some of the things, some of the implications of this post-Easter season, some of the things that um, we have a responsibility to, uh, towards because he has risen. There's one more thing that I do want to mention before I get into my sermon. I want to give you a save the date on May the 19th, I believe that's in three Sundays, May 19th, we will have our installation service for Dr. D. Edward Williams as the senior pastor of Pathways Baptist Church. So, what that means is on that Sunday, we're going to have uh, a few guests come in. This is all a secret, so I hope he's not watching us online right now. We'll have a few guests come in, and uh, we will lead that cause. But what I'd like you to take note of is that I need your help in order to pull this off. And you'll hear more about this. We'll have it all in writing and all, and uh, you'll have this by next week. But I want you to be thinking about this. Part of uh, Pastor William's ministry, one of the hallmarks of his ministry has been that he has led a multicultural church in this Washington area for several years now. In fact, the, night, the 18th of May is his 28th uh, anniversary in pastoral ministry, and look at the Lord, he's going to be his first year as a pastor here at Pathways. So only God can have you celebrating a 28th and a first anniversary all at the same time. So because um, a multicultural ministry has always been um, dear to his heart, what I would ask on that day is that you would wear something that is indicative from your culture, from your 
from where you're from. Now, I'm from D.C., so I'll have a pair of saggy jeans and some high tops and a kango, because that's my country. That's where I'm from. But perhaps, you know, you're from someplace else, and if, if you feel comfortable, Jonathan, you could wear, what, what would you wear, Jonathan? A sumo diaper. Okay, now I have to preach with that image in my head. I should not have asked that question. If you feel comfortable wearing something from... Now, Allison is from Philly, so he's going to come in here. I don't know what Allison was going to come in here doing, but whatever they did in Philly is what he'll do. And wherever you're from, please wear something that is... Oh, you'll be dapper? Is that what you said? You... Yes, he will be dapper because he is from Philly. But if you are from one of our, our many nations like Tennessee or <laughs> Maryland, or... we have anybody from Texas around here so I can lay hands and pray for you? All right, I'll be back there. <laughs> okay. Whatever it is, please wear something. From, don't you come in here with no cowboy hat and boots on, Richard. <laughs> okay. And if you would also be gracious enough to bring a dish from, that would be indicative to um, where you're from. Now, the house will provide food from Pastor Eddie's country. We're going to have fried chicken because he's from Roanoke, Virginia. And whatever other um, things that you would bring, let's make it a time of celebration, and uh, we will enjoy that time together. So, I see you looking confused, thinking, what? Okay, I'm from here. Whatever you bring will be fine, and we will enjoy that time, and we will install him as pastor of Pathways. So, with all that said... Let's go to the book of Colossians this morning. And we're going to be in the first chapter. So, as I was saying before, we had a wonderful Sunday, but now all of our props are put away, the cross is put away, all of our Easter bunnies are put away, the Cadbury chocolate eggs are put away for the year. All of the things of Easter are now put away. And we have to now figure out what is our responsibility in terms of the good news that we celebrated last week. How do we live in the light of the resurrection? What does it mean for us today? Because Jesus is risen. So in order to find some answers, as I said, we're going to look at the book of Colossians and we are going to take a glimpse at a small little town in the Middle East called Colossus. Now, the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to this small little town, to this little church, and he wrote it from prison. In fact, most scholars say that uh, Paul never had an opportunity to visit them there. This church was uh, founded by a man named Epaphras, and others who had been converted because of Paul's ministry when he was doing his missionary travels, but he himself had never had an opportunity to go. The problem with the church in Colossus is they had been infiltrated by religious 
relativism. They had some believers there who were trying to combine elements of pagan and secular philosophy in with Christian doctrine. Now, does that sound familiar to anybody here? Does that sound like what we live in right now in our times? There's a mixture. And Paul wrote this letter to confront, if you will, these teachings. So, starting with verse 21, going through 23, and I'm reading from the NIV version, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in you in the gospel, this is the gospel that you have heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. He describes in our text for today that we were formerly God's enemies, alienated from him, engaged in hostile, evil deeds against him. But God, because of his great love, sacrificed his own son on our behalf to change us from enemy to friend. That's why we can stand and sing, I am a friend of God. We've gone from alienation to reconciliation. And being reconciled, we now have the responsibility to continue in the faith and not to be moved by false teaching. In short, we who have enjoyed the blessings of reconciliation are responsible to continue in the faith of the true gospel. So, if you think this morning that perhaps you're immune from this lesson, from this teaching, if you think that you're immune from the danger of being deceived, then I can only say one of two things, that either you may not adequately appreciate what our enemy is willing to do to separate you from God's love, or at least try, or you don't know your own heart. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, let, therefore let him who thinks he can stand take heed that he does not fall. Do you realize that a large portion of the New Testament that Paul wrote to the churches was to address the false teachings that had entered the church? We saw that in the book of Galatians when we studied that a few weeks ago. We saw that the Pharisees wanted to add circumcision to the people of Galatia. And here in modern times, we see it all the time in the media. We see teachers who have fallen away, who have been swept away by different errors. They want to tickle the ear. They want to give you a new 
teaching. They want to give you a new perspective on the Bible. And I have to confess, as a, as a teacher, preacher, it is tempting to want to come up here and say something new, something that you've never heard before, to be able to say, oh, you know, wow, she, that, that girl, she is on top of it. She is smart. She, she's really got that going on. There's a temptation for that, and I confess that. But that's also called sin. There is no new perspective. There's a book that Eddie and I like to quote to each other. The title is A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. These teachings aren't new. And forgive me, it's not sexy. It's the same old story. But it's the truth. God alone is God. We are justified by faith alone, in Christ alone. There is no compromise. There is no mixing Jesus with a little bit of Islam and a little bit of Buddha and a little bit of Hinduism. And if we put it all together, it all comes out in the wash. Christ alone, through faith alone. Many have had many unbiblical views. One of our favorite here in this country is what we like to call the prosperity gospel, the health and wealth gospel. But you know what that heresy does? That makes us ill-equipped to handle what God said. These babies stood right here and said that there are going to be trials. If the children know that there are going to be trials in this world, how much more as adults who've lived a little while, I've lived a little while, 26, 27 years, okay, say something smart. Hey, <laughs> I was attacked. <laughs> False teacher. <laughs> How much more family? How much more do we need to be equipped and gird ourselves for the trials of this world? There are no shortcuts. There is no ease. There is no quick paths. We walk this. And, and listen, we only walk it one step at a time. I think that if God showed us more than one step at a time, we'd probably have a heart attack. If we only knew, yes, eyes have not seen, ears have not heard. But how many of you have gone through a trial in the past year that you never would have believed that it would have happened, much less you'd be still standing. So, 
with all of that said, we have been reconciled. And this morning, we're going to take a few minutes to look at the blessings of reconciliation. Colossians 1, 21 and 22 again says, we who were alienated from God are now reconciled through Christ's death. That is what Easter is about. We are now reconciled. And first, Paul is reminding us through this sentence that he had to intervene in our lives. We were all alienated from God because of sin. Now, you might be thinking, now, wait a minute, Paula and Paul. I wasn't that bad. I mean, I was pretty good. I, I was saved when I was a child. I've been in church as long as the doors have been open. I was pretty good. In fact, God might have done pretty good by getting me. Yeah, okay, you keep thinking that. <laughs> okay. You've never been an atheist. Words like alienated and hostile and evil deeds. Pastor, those are strong words. And I have to tell you that if you feel that those words are too harsh, they're not my words. Those are God's words. Those are the words that God uses to describe our hearts. Our alienation from God was due to two things. On God's part, he's completely holy and has settled wrath against all sin. And on my part, your part, I was born and you were born with an inbred selfishness and pride. And that selfishness and pride causes me to ignore the God who created me and to pursue my own ways. So there's alienation because God in his holiness cannot have fellowship with me because of my sin. He can't compromise in his holiness, and I, unfortunately, cannot eradicate my sin. What we're talking about here, family, is not behavior modification. We're not talking about just cleaning up our behavior. I mean, all of us can, you know, you can walk straight for a little while. Everybody can. But that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about changing behavior. We're talking about changing our hearts. In Romans 8, 7 through 8, the Apostle Paul writes, For this reason the mind is set on the flesh and is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. In our natural state, we are incapable of pleasing God. You know, you can put pearls on a pig, but really pigs don't wear pearls because pearls, pigs prefer to wallow in mud. And in the same way, we can't eradicate the most difficult problems that we have, which is sin in our hearts, unless we come to God and accept the fact of who we are before him 
and fall on his mercy and ask him to forgive us. And there's good news in that. The good news is that you don't even have to go to him first. He's looking for you. He wants to be right with you. But in order to get right with God, you have to understand the sacrifice of his son. So, if you're a note taker today, the first thing that uh, I would ask you to write down is God is, or the second thing is that God has reconciled us through Christ's death. Yet, he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death. Romans 5, 10, 11, Paul puts, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more surely, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life. But more than that, we even boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now receive reconciliation. So at this point, somebody may be thinking, I don't know, what's the big deal about sin? What's all this talk about being separated? I mean, humans can even forgive each other. Why does God not just do the same thing? Why did Christ need to die in order for us to be reconciled? My sins weren't that bad. I've never killed anybody. I'm faithful to my spouse. I work. I'm not a bad person. I don't have anything against God. Why did God require such a radical solution that Christ had to die for me and for my sins? Well, if you can relate to that thought, and I'm sure many of us can to a certain extent, then you don't really have a right view of what sin really is and how it affects God and how he views it. Perhaps you've been wrongly influenced by our culture. We live in a time where tolerance for everyone and everything, including their sin, is a great virtue. I'm grieved in my spirit today as I think about the people of California who were in a house of prayer and were killed almost on the anniversary of the shooting in Pennsylvania. Why do I bring that up? Well, one, we need to be praying. But we also need to see that that's the other side of being tolerant. If anything goes, if, if you can believe anything that you want, then who are we, who am I, to go to that young man who opened fire in a temple yesterday and say that he's wrong? That's what was right for him, right? That's what he believed, right? If God were tolerant of sin, he would not be God. If he denied his absolute holiness by winking at sin, 
he would be compromising his justice, which rightly demands the penalty of sin be paid. Give you a practical example, maybe one that you can wrap your mind around. Let's say someone came in and killed your mom. And there's a trial. And at the trial, the judge looks at the guilty party, comes down, gives them a hug, and says, oh, you poor thing. I want you to try harder the next time, okay? I know you can do it. And then lets them go. How would that feel? You would be outraged because justice had not been served. While God is love, family, he is. He loves us. He loves us with a never-ending love. He sent his son to die for us. He loves us. But you need to hear that his love never compromises his holiness and his justice. You know, reconciliation is a relational word. It points to healing in personal relationships. As Paul states in the context of this passage on reconciliation in Romans 5, but God demonstrated his own love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Through reconciliation, we now enjoy God's love. But to be reconciled to God, first, you have to know that you're one, alienated from him. You're hostile in mind and engaged in evil deeds, even if you are relatively good on the outside. You've got to see that God will provide everything to reconcile you to himself through Christ. The other thing that I would say on this is that God's goal in reconciliation is to present us holy, blameless, and free of accusation. That's a big aim, isn't it? Holy, blameless, and free of accusation. One day when we all will stand before him, and that again is what the Bible says, we will all stand before him. You will stand before him in perfect righteousness. Jude 24 says it like this, he is able to make you stand in the presence of his glory blameless with great joy. And it's a rare thing to know someone who you would describe probably as blameless and beyond approach. But even if you could, you're only seeing one side. You're only seeing the outside. You don't know what's in that person's heart. But yet, we will be able to stand in the presence of God who knows every hidden thought, every motive, everything we've ever done, everything we've ever said, and we'll be declared holy, blameless, and beyond reproach. That sounds impossible. 
You may even be saying, how can it be true? But it is. It's true because Paul and Jude are looking at the final results of our just sanctification. Sanctification, family, is in stages. Now, when you give your life to Christ once and for all, when you have reconciled to God, that is a transaction that you only have to do once. You state who you are before him, ask for forgiveness. He will set you apart. We're clothed in Christ's righteousness, and we are seated with him in heavenly places. But there's a second part to sanctification. And this is kind of the hard part of sanctification because it's progressive. This is the daily walk that you've still got to walk. This is the laying down of your pride. This is the laying down of your sin. This is the part where you've got to put shoe leather to your faith. It's growing in obedience. It's growing in his word. It's becoming increasingly holy. You'll never be perfect in this life. He's not even asking for that. But he is asking for progress. And then finally, the last act, if you will, is when we die. It says that we'll be like Jesus. That's God's ultimate aim in reconciling us to himself. So, because it's a process and we're already on the road, does that mean we can kick back and just kind of let it go and not worry? Well, no. As I said, there's a responsibility to being reconciled. And the responsibility is that you have to continue you have to continue in the faith of the gospel. If you indeed continue in the faith, firmly established and firm, and do not move away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, that was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, which I, Paul, was made a, a servant That's part of our responsibility. So I guess in these last couple of minutes, the thing to do would be to walk through three ways that we can continue to grow in the hope and be grounded in the faith and in the hope of the gospel. The thing that I would say that is the most important thing, to continue in the faith of the gospel, is what Paul wrote about right here. And that's understanding false teaching. It really is a very prevalent problem and one of the most pervasive problems, I think, that we have to face as Christians. 
It is so easy, family, to start on a road and think that you're doing all the right things and you're going to church and you give and all of those things but still have a heart that's far away from God. I know that sounds weird. I mean, how, how is that possible? How is it possible to be in church every week? How is it possible to give? How is it possible to do all of the things that I'm supposed to do, but yet still be far from God? I think one of the scariest passages in Scripture is when Christ looks and says, get away from me, I never knew you. The only way that we can arm ourselves, protect ourselves, is to be vigilant. We have to be like the Bereans. The Bereans tested everything against the Scripture. I don't want you to take my word for it. I don't want you to take Pastor Eddie's word for it. You have to do the work. You have to be in the scriptures. You have to know the word inside and out. Because what you'll find in this world is that it's the same uh, that Jesus experienced when he was tempted in the desert. You may remember that story when he was tired and hungry and weary, that's when Satan attacked. That's when Satan always attacks, when you're tired and you're weary. And he'll twist the truth just enough, just by one word or two, so that it sounds good. Oh, yeah, that sounds right. But it's not. It's false. We have to be grounded in what we believe, and we need to know the Word. The last thing that I would say is a part of our responsibility in continuing in the faith is that we have to proclaim it. We have to proclaim the gospel to all people. That's what we're called to do. It's not a, oh, by the way, it's not a suggestion. It's a command. We're called to make disciples. But in order to proclaim the gospel, you have to know the gospel. It's hard to do, and I know that. The word says that the gospel is foolishness to some and offensive to others, but to those who believe, it is the power for salvation. Hallelujah is right. Maybe yesterday could have been different if somebody had talked to that young man. Maybe a lot of things would be different if we had the courage to proclaim what it is that we know to be true. Just saying.
Paul says that the Bible, this word that he is teaching, made him its servant. And for all of us who proclaim Christ, we are also servants of this word. It applies to all of us if you believe. And if we are servant, then that means obedience is not an option. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then we are called to be ambassadors. In fact, we have a ministry of reconciliation. It is our job to go out and to proclaim the good news to a lost and hurting world. So, there are different ways that you can apply this message this morning, depending on your situation. If you've never been reconciled to God, if you've never trusted Christ's sacrifice on the cross, then I might suggest to you that that's your urgent need this morning. And there are pastors and elders and teachers who would love to give you clarity on this topic so you can learn how to apply it in your life. All you have to do is ask. And if you're not grounded in your faith this morning, I would think that your assignment needs to be to lay out and start a plan. Read through the Bible. There are plenty of different Bibles and plenty of different studies. You've got an office full of them. All you have to do is ask. Another way that you can interact with this sermon this week is during your quiet time. For those of you who know the Lord and are walking rightly, there's a little green piece of paper inside of your worship folder this week. And it has some application questions. Perhaps you can use that as a time, uh, a way to reflect this week on this message. Or maybe better still, maybe this week you can take that study sheet and take a friend out to lunch and have a conversation. Because if we have enjoyed God's blessing, if we are reconciled, then it is our responsibility to proclaim our Savior, to a lost and hurting world so that they too can know the goodness of God. Let's pray. Father God, um, this type of lesson, Father, is easy to kind of brush off. It's easy to think, well, I became a Christian a long time ago, so this really isn't for me. But Father, um, you know each 
of our hearts. You know each of our situations. You know where we fall short. You know where we are experiencing a little victory. So, Father, I guess I just want to thank you for meeting all of us where we are. Father, convict our hearts with what we need for this moment, whether it's to know you better, whether it's to meet you for the first time, whether it's to pull ourselves back on track, or if it's just for encouragement to keep on the road, the long road of obedience in the same direction. We love you and we trust you, Father, for what we need. And we say this in your Son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen.